0: Days of troubles, rolls of battles, ties of
1: victory, we shall walk. Good afternoon, and welcome to WEHC 90.7, where you are tuning in to the show She Walks with Sharon Bowers and Carly Blaylock. We're so excited that you are with us today, and as always, we are talking about women. And their walk to freedom in various ways and today we're talking uh from the perspective of leadership and Carly's going to introduce our guest and then we hope that if you have any questions you want to email us and just let us know we'll try to answer them Carly
2: yeah so today we have with us Christine Arias she's one of our career advisors at Emory and Henry College she received her master's degree, um, and it's in higher education and student affairs leadership from the University of Northern Colorado. And she states that one of her main goals is to help students and alumni to be empowered to be their authentic selves while also navigating the world of work. So we're really, really excited to have her with us today. So I'm going to hand it over to Christine to talk a little bit more about herself before we jump in.
0: Yes, uh, thank you, thank you, Reverend Bauer, thank you, Carly, for having me today, and. I always I self-defined as a career nerd. So anytime that I can even bring in the intersectionality of career as well. So you know, always staying up on what's happening in the world of work, but with a particular interest in what's happening within the world of work for women, for people of color, for um, those who are navigating our world with disabilities. Um, it's an area that I just love. So this conversation is, is great for me. Um, and I do, I, I utilize the pronouns of she, her, identify as woman, I'm, I'm a mother, I'm a partner. Um, And then also, yeah, I have this professional role here at Emory & Henry and always try to insert each of those pieces. Um, I think a lot of times our students have said, we always hear about the success stories. We always hear about the great, cool things people have done, but we don't always know all the things kind of behind the scenes. We don't always know the story of how people got to a certain point and and the challenges, the struggles, the the breakthroughs, right, the positive things that have happened kind of go right to the end game. And I love helping students and to be normalizing for students that, that there are going to be challenges and there are going to be things that we face and how can we go into our professional selves feeling empowered and feeling like we have options and choices and, and a voice.
2: One thing that you always make time to do, which I think is so incredible, is talk about all of those pieces, right? You're, you always approach everything from a very holistic view of like, yes, we're here to do a job and that's fine, but also here's all these other things that are part of who I am, right? And I think when we think about you know, when we ask people to talk about themselves, so often the first thing people talk about is their career, what do they do, right? And, um, you know, sometimes those other pieces can kind of get missing. And I think, especially as women, when we show up in the workplace, we're very much expected to sort of not talk about, you know, our children and our partners and everything else we have going on behind the scenes, right? Quote, unquote and expected to just be the model employee. And I think I always like that you always give space for that.
0: Yeah, thank you. And I think I just had an experience today where I have a four-year-old full of life, um, full of energy, and we had a rough night last night with that energy. And I did my best to not bring that into work today, you know, to leave it in the car and realize I couldn't. And all it took was somebody asking me, oh, how was your weekend? How are you? And the tears came. And then after that came the embarrassment and the shame for crying at work. And is that what a professional is supposed to do? And then I went for a walk around campus and realized, yes, that is exactly the type of professional world, the type of work culture that I want, is that we can bring ourselves in. When people are asking us how we are, we can give them our authentic selves and feel empowered to do that and hopefully create a work environment where that truly is welcome for everyone and okay for everyone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing in the research that you provided us pre-recording us talked a lot about emotions for women, right? And the way that emotional emotions presented from a woman are seen, right? So one of the things was like anger. If, If someone is angry in the workplace and they are a man or male identified, that anger is usually seen as justified. And it's usually seen as coming from a place of passion. Like, you know, he just cares so much about what he's doing, right? Women, on the other hand, their anger is usually seen as over-emotional. They're not able to control their emotions, sometimes even a place of pettiness. And if you're a woman of color, and I'd love for Sharon to share her perspective, but, you know, a Black woman is seeing, I mean, that's a whole other level there of, you know, showing anger in a workplace, right? But that could go for a myriad of emotions, right? Um, Sadness or grief or anything like that. It's like all of that just is seen so different when it comes from a woman or a woman-identified person.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think you bring up a, a huge point. And I think there's you know, even been research, as you mentioned, that has focused on, on the response of, of a similar reaction, you know, a similar time to step in as a leader and, and maybe you know, have some orders for your staff. And the, lot, the way those orders are taken also by the receiver are very different based on if it is a, a woman or a man. And as you said, if it is a woman of color, I think that deepens it even further. But you're right, that it seems to be that that style of leadership is seen as irrational when it's women and it's seen as actual style of leadership when it's men, right? Is that kind of strict and you know, together. And it's really taken the opposite actually a woman has kind of lost her shit versus versus just, oh, this is just a form of 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 leadership and speaking up in the times that are needed.
1: I guess one of the things for me, you know, when we talk about women in the workplace and 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 I appreciate your expertise. And I'm just reminded about you know, this is kind of foreign to, quote unquote, a lot of people, because women, you know, back in the separate sphere, back a long time ago, women weren't even ever expected to be in the workplace. And so the definition and, you know, how it's set up is so male oriented and male defined, that just trying to find your place as a woman or female identified is extremely difficult. I can remember being in corporate America, and I don't know, Christine, if, if you talk about this in your workshops, but I can remember having to wear a suit. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't wear my dresses or I couldn't wear color. I had to wear a suit. I mean, that was the expectation that if I was gonna be in the corporate room and if I were gonna be in there with those men, I had to look as best like them as I possibly could. And so it took away all of my flair and all of my creativity and even down to what size earrings I was supposed to wear, you know? And all of that was just because you know, the men were defining the corporate culture. And what are we teaching or saying to our graduates now who are coming out? Is that still the case? I think in many ways, it still is the case. And if we're not being intentional
0: about the conversation around, quote unquote, professionalism and who defined what that means, we are missing a huge opportunity to create allies, active allies, both, you know, across genders and in many different places, because I think there are a lot of folks who just aren't seeing that or thinking that, and professionalism means a suit, and we shouldn't really ever question that. And I often talk with students that even across different career sectors, professionalism is defined differently. Our our students who are going out into, let's say, you know, environmental conservation. Professionalism doesn't mean a suit, right? <laughs> that is also another male-dominated area, but that's where you put on the boots and you put on the waiters, our astronauts. In fact, there was an all female. Crew that was set to go into outer space, when they realized they didn't have the right size suits available for women, because the average space suit space walking um, size was based off of the average male, so that was size large. And then this fully staffed um, female crew realized they didn't have the basic safety precautions just based on the size um, of the of the clothing. Something else I, I talk with students is that we'll see. Masculine job descriptions, right? So words that are leaning more towards the male gender. So things like individualized, competitive, expert, objective, principles, those are all actually classified as kind of falling into that a male perspective coming from a male voice. So all all the way from the job description, which then People decide whether or not they feel like that's somewhere they're qualified to be or want to be. So then we'll have less female applicants just based off of wording in a job description, all the way to what it is you're expected to wear every day at work when you walk into an office. And then what does, it, what does that do to us when we're worrying about if our hair is acceptable or our earring size is acceptable or the color of our clothing? How do we then focus in on what we're actually there to be doing? And I think that has a, a great impact on
1: women and i think for women that whole objectification kind of piece you know even that goes into our dress and i mean you know who's looking at us who's making a decision about whether you can be promoted or not or whether you're you're worthy of that a lot of that is still defined by you know men's standard of acceptance and men's standard of beauty so as a black woman and as a large black woman quote unquote oftentimes, you know, that is not what somebody's wanting to sit around and look at, because there's still that whole other layer, and we don't like to talk about it, but there's that whole other layer of who gets promoted, and who gets promoted are people that are deemed to be pretty, or deemed to be, and who's the person who's defining who's pretty, and then if white women are the standard for beauty, there, it just goes on and on and on and on. And I'm going to get off my soapbox, but, but I think that women in the workplace have to think about all of those things rather than just what do I bring to the table? What are my expertise? What's my knowledge, my skill and ability? And sometimes I think we, we laugh about it, but, and I know that skit that you ask us to watch with Saturday Night Live, but I think about sometimes how I'm in a boardroom or I'm somewhere and I make a suggestion and no one hears it. It's like it falls on deaf ears. A man picks it back up and it's the best thing since sliced bread. And, you know, we're still dealing with those kinds of things in the workplace. So how do you guide those students who this is the real world? Well, I think you also
0: you know, brought up something great uh, with the, the board meeting. That, that moment happens, right? It happens daily. And then we may have somebody in that room who recognizes that moment happens but they don't speak up then. They, they come they come to us later, right? An hour after the meeting has happened. Hey, I noticed this happened. And while that is a form of being an ally, that is for some folks the best way they can express, hey, I saw that happen. What we would love to see happen is more people stepping up in the moment to say, hey, actually Sharon just proposed that exact idea and then bring that attention back. And I think that there's ways that so many of us, we're, we're experiencing it and they can step in when we see it happening and be those active allies in the moment Um, Instead of it being pushed aside, a side conversation, but really learning how, first off, what are the best ways, what are our best ways to utilize our sphere of influence, and when is it time for us to step in and speak? And I think, too, I think preparing women, and I think in particular women of color, what is is it like to step into a boardroom, and most likely, just based off of statistics, be the only woman and the only woman of color um, in that room, and and what does that mean? And, and all of and, and normalizing all of the feelings, all of the thoughts that are there. I honestly, in our transition, I, I started Emery Henry virtual and came back into person you no know, in May. And I actually had these feelings of like, you know, they've only seen me from a part of me, right? And people going to be disappointed when I come in and they realize that oh, you know, Christine, maybe, maybe not the body size though that she was going to be, or maybe this so or maybe that. And I actually had those thoughts coming into my first day of coming into in person. And I had been trying to work on this probably for well over a decade of trying to understand myself as a woman in the workplace. And I still, just as May, had that same thought, had that same fear and wondering how I was going to be utilizing my physical appearance in my work, right? And I would like to think that that would never even have any sort of impact um, in anything I do.
1: Uh, Carly, I'm gonna stop after this cause I'm talking too much, but, uh... Carly and I were recently in a meeting, and this is my take on the meeting, so it's not Carly's take, just for the record, if anyone's listening, but Carly and I were recently in a meeting, and, you know, there were some powerful people there, and so we talked, we shared our hearts, we talked about the things that were going on. The powerful person just did a quick summary and had the ability to speak and to try to put concisely all the things we were talking about. So anything that we were talking about that they didn't value was left out. And so then they were able to say, here's what I got from this, and here's what I think we should do, and here's who I think should lead this effort. And Mm -hmm. the people that were expected to lead the effort were not even there. So now they're going to have to have someone explain to them what went on, and then that person who's explaining it was not the originator of the concept or the idea. And so because of power structures in our workplace, now the person who brought the real challenge is four or five levels down. And may not even be included in working through the process. Yeah. So those power dynamics, I don't know, Carly, I'm not asking you to out yourself on on here, but it really bothered me to see that an effort, a grassroots effort, feeling the felt need of people, said people, could be reduced to this and then given to someone who had, wasn't even on the radar, wasn't even on the, it's foreign to them because it's not anything they think about. It's not anything that anybody goes to. So those power relationships in the workplace, Christine, that are predominantly, you know, the, the dominant people are men and the subordinate people are women in the workplace. And so the feeling, the thinking, all of the thing, the ways that women bring, the epistemology of women is just looked over or dumbed down or usurped. So it's kind of difficult. That's I'm I'm stopping. Carly, please talk. <laughs> Well,
2: to add to that, I think we've talked a lot, this series is sort of women in leadership, but we've also talked about power structures as well. And the power structures in a lot of workplaces and the leadership styles in a lot of workplaces are very male, right? Very patriarchal. And there almost seems to be this idea that that is the only way that things can be done. This is the way they've always been done. This is the only way they can be done. And it feels very much like when that is challenged, it's always like, well, that's not going to work because of this, or that's not going to work because of that. And, you know, we've talked about that. You know, women do lead differently than men. Women have different ideas about power structure than men do. And just because it's maybe unique or different or it's not been done before, doesn't mean that it's bad or that it won't work, um, and that there's value in it. And you like collective leadership models, things like that. You know, that are so often put down. Like, well, that's just never going to work. Well, why? Have we tried? Have we given it a real go? You know? And that just continues to be brushed aside as though it will never work and it, it just feels very disheartening sometimes because it feels like here we are trying to build something that suits everyone and is better and it just kind of gets swept aside
0: right it's hard to even have a chance to to give it a try right for there even to be the opportunity I think I think we even see that manifest in our family medical week you know so our FMLA when a woman has a baby our federal government secures 12 weeks of un Paid leave, okay. And at the same time, research is showing that men, in particular, refuse to take family leave if it's not paid. Mm-hmm. As women, it is not an option. So I think as long as we have men who just won't even consider taking family leave, you know, especially if it's not unpaid, and especially to care for a child or for an aging parent, how are the people who are in those still in those decision-making spots that they don't even want to consider giving you 12 weeks of paid leave and that is actually very unique to the United States as well Um, you know we have a lot of other countries who will give even close to a year Sweden gives 70 weeks five times longer than the United States to both both parents um, to take that time away and I think that that helps in so many ways to create just an equal playing field because when you for me when I when I stepped away from my maternity leave you're, you're gone for a bit and, and maybe even a little bit forgotten. And then all of a sudden you come back one day, leaving your child for the first time. Um, like for me, I was still pumping while I was at work, sitting in the corner of my office, missing meetings, meetings that were scheduled during the known times I needed to pump. I had been gone for close to three months. A lot of things had happened. And I think really one of the only blessings is that my director at that time was a woman and a mother. And so she tried her best to find ways to keep me incorporated. But I think if I had been gone and come back into an environment that had a little bit more of a male-defined culture and actually where a director had fought to make a change for more collective web-based um, type of leadership, I think that that transition, that honestly was hard, would have been even harder. I'm not sure how I would have managed and stuck around because there's so many responsibilities during that time. You come back into the workforce. And Again, as long as we have leaders who are not even willing to consider taking that type of lead, they're never going to prioritize decisions based off of of, of fixing these things, you know, creating new ways of doing leadership. Um, I think during the pandemic, working from home, there's a lot of mothers who have realized how they can manage and be successful, both in their personal life and professional life. But there seems to be actually a lot of male leaders saying, we cannot work from home. Everybody needs to get back into the office. I need to have control over what is happening. And I think there's we're having this moment of like, Wait a minute, we just proved that we could do this and, and manage all of our roles in a more healthy way. And I think maybe because some men have that experience of saying, oh yeah, I actually can work from home and, and do this and be successful and be productive, then yeah, well, we may see some some things opening up, but it shouldn't have to be that men are experiencing it before they can open their minds to, to new ways of doing
2: things. Well, and I think that's sure. something we run up against quite a bit, right? Is this mm-hmm. idea that it's as soon as someone experiences it, then it's real, right? Right. We've been talking about this for a really long time.
1: (laughs) And I think that sometimes it just won't happen because it's built into our structure. I I can recall, and I'll be real quick on this because I know we're running out of time, but I can recall, I lived in Australia and the first year that I was there where they have four weeks, mandatory paid vacation every year. Four weeks you have to take it and so here i am this american and i go over there and they say it's your vacation time you need to pay i said oh no i'll just work through my vacation and get paid and they mm-hmm. looked at me like i was crazy uh and they said you can't do that And i said yeah i'll just work they said no you have to take this leave and and so you wonder about morale and other things and so i was just aghast that they expected me to take four consecutive weeks off for my vacation when here, they don't even want you to have a vacation. I don't mean here as an Emory. I mean here as in America. You know, right. you're not even wanted. They don't want you to take a vacation. And most people will try to work over it. And and I'm with you, Christine, from the perspective of 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 being able to work from home, and that we proved that we could, and we didn't skip a beat. And as a matter of fact, I think we might have been a little bit more productive. And yes. and I don't know what, if the research will support that or not. But then I think again, that goes back to. And this will sound awful, and I'll probably get some hits from this, but it goes back to male leadership and thinking that I came, I saw, I conquered. I have to be in charge. I have to know what's going on at all times. Where women, our way is we know that at the same time you're pumping, you're also typing, uh yes. what comes you know, i mean we know that cuz we've been doing it that's who we are that's part of it and and so we know that we can be at home and if we have to wash a load of clothes that washing the load of clothes is not going to detract or take away from what we're doing but men can't see that because the multitasking is not necessarily in their arena they are hunters they are going they are going to do this they're only going to do that bam bam where we Have been doing this multitasking, and I know multitasking is not a real thing according to the research, but we've been doing more than one thing simultaneously and still getting it done.
0: Yes, I still have vivid memories of listening in on a conference call on the phone with the pumping machine in the background. Like I'm, I'm doing this. I'm got to do this three times a day, right? And so yes, I can sit there. You know, we have we have those machines are built to just be even hands free, right? Because we got to keep on going. Yeah, this, yeah, all these responsibilities, and and like we we have pulled it off, we have done it, and I think we're at a point now where it's like recognize that and give us credit for that. And I think that it ultimately becomes this sense of of, of trust and freedom and feeling like a feeling like a grown up. I can't. How many times I've gone home is, I just feel sometimes like a little girl, and I and I don't and I'm still trying to always consider kind of that why why do I feel that way in the workplace? It isn't anything specific someone has done, but I think there's that overall systemic side just keeps me still at that level of feeling like 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 a child sometimes in my role because maybe not always trusted to, to do that multitasking and do it well
2: yeah i think it can almost feel um a little bit like if you're not being observed 24 7 that like you're going to take advantage of the system or something like right. that and that's
1: kind of how i feel sometimes yeah and add, we- ra- add race to that Add Absolutely. race to that. The person right. who was expected to be the servant, the person who was expected to not have any time off, the person who was expected to work from sun up to sundown. So, when you put how you might feel as a woman and from, you put it from an intersectional perspective and you put race in there and other variables, it is amazingly difficult to feel respected in the workplace as just when you come bringing who you are. Sometimes when we bring who we are to the workplace, it is the least celebrated thing ever. And so I know for me, sometimes I go home feeling like, why am I trying to do this? And how much longer am I gonna try to do this? Because it's kind of like that thing about, are you out of place? And, And for me as a black woman, sometimes white women, can get in place in a place that I can't get because of assimilation and and because of similarity and all of those other kinds of things. So sometimes it's just it's crazy. But real quick, uh, Carly, you mentioned earlier, and Christine, you were talking about uh, the second shift. Christine, can you kind of uh, just like explain that to us a little bit so that our listeners might know when they hear or see something like uh, the second shift what it really means?
0: Yes, definitely. And Sharon, just so one last thing of what you said, just kind of burning in my mind right now is just that it was one of my biggest. Kind of where time where I check myself as a professional, because we've had this thing, I think kind of across peer services, be your authentic self. Go in and be your authentic self. Go into interviews. There's your authentic self. And I have to really kind of say, wait, wait a minute. Our work culture doesn't really want that or allow for that. And so I you know whether whether it is discrimination based off of protective or natural hair for black women, whether it's our clothing, whether it's our family, all these different roles. That was one area where I said, I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm actually going to instead talk to students about why they may not always be able to do their authentic self at work, and what do you do about that, and what is code switching? And you know that's such another a deep conversation to get into. But I think that's something else, too, that's even been an area of growth for me in my work. Um, maybe you can get back to that original question that Carly asked. But yeah, the second shift. I think a big thing that we look at is that 62% of women provide more than 20 hours of care each week, compared to 38% of men. Okay, so that can be for aging parents, that can be for our children. We have so many women who are going home, right? And there's a whole other second shift, a whole other set of responsibilities. For many of us, for me, that's my priority. That second shift actually really is my first shift. That's my family. Those are the folks that are the most important to me. And frankly, a lot of times why I'm working, right? So that I can make sure that we have food on the table and a roof over our heads. Um, but work wants us, you know, for that to be our priority, but, you know, women are really carrying that burden, so what does that mean energy-wise? What does that mean for that staying late? So, men are typically able to have longer continuous work hours because they don't have that second shift that they're running home to. You know, how many of us, when it turns five o'clock, I have to get out of here because I have a child to go pick up, or I have responsibilities at home, and yet my male counterpart is staying until seven o'clock at night, and then we keep hearing about this idea, they're like, oh, well, so-and-so stays and works 15-hour days. And, and then guess who ends up being the one that gets looked at for the promotion? That one that's so, quote-unquote, dedicated. But they don't necessarily know that while I'm picking up my child or while I'm cooking dinner, I'm also processing a meeting that we were just in. I'm processing the event that we want to offer to students. I'm processing the meeting that I just had with the student, right? But I'm also doing other things. It's so back, back to that idea of multitasking. But what seen as a person who's still sitting in their chair while it's dark and still working. And then that's where the male dominated workforce it continues to go on this mentality. And that second shift really, really is there to make sure we're leaving behind.
2: Yeah, I think that's super powerful. And I think that's something that we all feel, right? Is that like, because I have to leave and go take care of X, Y, and Z, I'm not seen as being as dedicated. Um, yeah, I think that's a really powerful, powerful thing. I just, I
0: just missed a meeting for something I'm really excited about that's coming hopefully to be coming to our campus, but the meeting is scheduled from 4.30 to 5.30. Yeah. Technically, our hours are from 9 to 5. I understand that we're in higher education and we're going to work later hours. We're going to have different times. That meeting is in the middle of the week, 4.30 to 5.30. I can't do it. I can't be there. And so then I'm not going to be as nearly involved in something that I actually care about and want to be a part of. And when
1: I think one of the things that when men go and do any job that's part of the second shift, they get lauded for it. I mean, yeah. it's like, it's a great thing. And even sometimes they are more powerful. And so they, because they're powerful, they can set the times we meet, you know, so they, if they know they have to do something that would be on second shift or something that would be outside, like go take care of an aged parent, they could just simply say, I'm blocking out that time. Nobody's looking at their schedule to see why that time is blocked out. That I'm just unavailable is mostly all they ever have to say. And again, Carly and I've had, Carly and I've been riding together a long time. But anyway, uh, you know, we we have people who have blocks and you don't ever question that block. You just say, oh, that's a block on the calendar. We're not going to do anything that time. Nobody ever says anything, but that might be a time that they're doing something that we do on the second shift. They might be going to the doctor or they might be taking a kid to the doctor or a kid back to college or, but because they're powerful We don't ever look at it. So they don't, they don't, oh, I'm sorry, but they don't get, (laughs) I I get, I get excited about this because they don't have to, the same kinds of challenges that we do and feel all that guilt
0: that is placed
1: upon us to do that.
0: Yes. And that guilt and all of that responsibility weighs heavy, 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 heavy. heavy. So so how do we show up to work light and with, you know, being able to be fully um, focused and it, it takes a lot of work and it takes time, I think.
2: So as we're closing out today's show, I would love to hear just maybe one or two pieces of advice that you might have, Christine, for us, um, us as working women, but also just our general audience as working women. You know, What are some things we can do to help improve our, you know, our experience in the workplace?
0: Yeah, I think my two pieces of advice are actually going to focus around boundaries. So one, getting to a point where you're comfortable enough to make them, and then to hold to them and don't let yourself feel guilty for holding to them. Speaking of those blocks, I have decided a lot of my work is interactive. But I also have some time that I need to be able to do the research. I need to be able to follow up. I need to be able to do some administrative work. So I have blocked Wednesday. That is my administrative day. Because how else will I get all of the things done that I said I was going to do if I don't block some time? And I am blocking that time during my work hours. These are not, oh, okay, I'm going to work all day long. And then I'm going to go do this other stuff. It's administrative. That's going to be built into my work. And so I say that now. I'm doing that now. I'm 43 years old. When I went into the world of work, I, you know, first starting out of college, I didn't know that I could do that. I was scared to do that. I don't know if I even would have been met with the ability to do that. But I'm at a point in my life now where I feel like I have a lot to offer. And I'm going to hold boundaries. And so I think starting now with small ones, maybe it's small things like I'm not going to work over my lunch break. I'm going to always take a lunch break. I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to read a book during this time. Starting there, holding that that bit of time and then. it's five o'clock, you know, I'm leaving at five o'clock and really working to hold those time boundaries. And I think we'll find from there, we can get more and more comfortable with bigger boundaries and supporting other people's boundaries. I think that's just, I think, a great place to start. I think for those of you who are in school now and getting ready to go out into the world of work, starting with defining your values and how you can hold to those.
2: I think that's excellent and definitely a skill that we can all develop and be stronger with. So I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate you being with us today. This has been an incredible show um, and we would love to have you back to dive into a few, you know, additional pieces that we weren't able to get to today. But thank you so much, Christine, for being here. And as always, my co-host, Reverend Bowers for being here as well. Um, We will see you all next week as we continue our Women in Leadership series. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon,
1: thank you, Carly. Some of the Dory, we shall walk.